So what happens next with farming and, well, a couple of different issues actually have been sort of on the front burner of late with Olympia in session. Um, We've talked a lot about uh, buffers recently, and we're going to have more on that coming up, but also on this overtime issue. As we know, the problems with how our state has gone about um, changing its law to require overtime pay for agricultural labor has caused a few different major problems. Um, One, and first and foremost, being for farm workers who are having a lot harder time making uh, the amount of money they want to make because of the unintended consequences of the new law. But then also, and very much related to that problem, is it's putting extreme pressure on farms to manage this, to be able to still you know, farm here in Washington and make ends meet. By the way, if you're going to farm for any significant amount of time, you do have to make ends meet at some point. I know people in the farming world are like are saying, yeah, like, well... Every, you know, few years, you hopefully have one of those that's uh, not in the red. (laughs) That's how hard farming can be, the ups and downs. This is The Farming Show. Welcome to a Saturday morning here on KGMI. I'm Dylan Honkoop. Joining me on the phone uh, this first half hour is Pam Lewison, uh, the director of the uh, Initiative on Agriculture at uh, Washington Policy Center with us. Uh, today and Pam let's start I mean you're during a legislative session in Olympia you're just following all kinds of stuff it's busy time for you as well as the lawmakers Um, so you have plenty I'm sure you can talk about but let's start with this overtime issue you've been doing some research and analysis and exposing some of the some of the truth about what this is doing here in Washington state the real impact that that overtime and the, the rollout of that new requirement for farming is having on, on workers, on the farms themselves. And another thing that I've noticed you writing about of late is food security. Um, all of these things are impacted by this. What are you finding? You know, I think the, the ag overtime uh, situation is interesting for a lot of reasons, but I think uh, tying it back to food security and particularly um, the cost of food in general, I think is uh, a helpful way to make it relatable to people who don't farm. And so I wanted to look and see what, you know, what are farms making right now? We make about seven cents for every dollar spent on food. And Okay, hold, um, hold on, time out. That has to register with people. So mm-hmm. what you were saying, and I recognize I'm repeating, but I think this is so important that it needs to be repeated. I'm going to say it in a slightly different way. For every $1 that um, an American spends on food, only $0.07 cents makes it back to the farm mm-hmm. on average. That. And that $0.07 cents has to pay for everything of how that food is grown planted, you know, taken care of, fed, whatever, whether animal or or not, uh, agriculture, everything has to come out of that uh, for the food that's produced, the land, the debt that has to be serviced, the labor, and that's what we're talking about here now, that has that goes into the hand labor that often goes into producing our food all out of seven cents that you pay for your food. It's nuts. 
it is nuts. I mean, I think the uh, if you do the math, the average American household with four people, um, you know, husband and wife, two kids, one dog, you know, the yeah. sort of what we all think about as yep. a stereotypical white, home. white picket fence, uh, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, spends on average $300 a week on groceries. $300 a week? Which means that <sighs> on farm, you get $21. For all that food. For all that food. So um, when we start talking about things like overtime, uh, we're here in Washington, we pay an average of $20 an hour for uh, for a straight wage. Straight time. Not That's not overtime. Yep. Straight time. So when you're looking at time and a half, that's $30 an hour. Uh, and you're having to figure that out on $21 worth of groceries, uh, grocery money coming back to the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, what is interesting about this in particular is that as a community collectively, uh, Washington farmers provide about nine, almost $10 billion to the state's economy uh, just in the things that we produce. Um, but when you start looking at overtime pay in particular, um, we quickly run into a deficit with that almost $10 billion, which is hard for people to believe. But we have 164,000 farm workers in Washington state, give or take. And if you're paying everyone $20 an hour at your straight wage and $30 an hour at overtime, and trying to bump folks from the 40 hours a week that they will, you know, that we're going to be capped at effectively next year, bring them back up to 55 hours. You're talking about an operating deficit for us all as a community of $2.6 billion. The money just isn't there. And that's one of the biggest misconceptions is that the, the farming quote unquote industry um, being seen as some huge, scary monolith, which isn't true at all. It's family farms. There's just all, you know, there's scads of money and farmers just need to quit being greedy and cough it up and pay their workers better. So number one, you're exposing how that's just not true. Secondly, another thing that you're exposing here is this average pay issue. You know, I think that most people probably assume that all or virtually all farm work happens at minimum wage, and it's just not true. I mean, already here in Washington State, we have a decently high minimum wage, but it's higher than that already. And I just want to point out, I mean, you're saying $20 an hour, that's average. That means some below, some people are making significantly more than that per hour. So it is not like people doing farm work, people actually, you know, harvesting, growing the food on farms in Washington state are making, you know, tiny minuscule, as as activists would say, exploitative wages. And I think it's important to note, too, that um, our wages in in the U.S., not just in Washington, are regional. So yeah. if you are in the South, you're making significantly less. Uh, and effectively, everywhere else in the country pays less than we do for farm work at that straight wage time. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, most other regions, to put them in that time and a half bracket, 
just come close to the $20 an hour mark. Wow. So the narrative in public is a far cry from reality on the farm. Absolutely. And I think it, it's it's crucial, I think, to make sure that um, farm worker voices are the ones that are being heard. And uh, when you look at the segment of folks that are talking about these issues as being exploitative, we're talking about a group that represents less than 1% of farm workers in this state, making it hard for the other 99% to make a living. That part is crazy when you think about it as well. By the way, we're talking with Pam Lewis, and right now she's the director for the Center for Agriculture at the Washington Policy Center, uh, very involved in what's happening in Olympia, where policy for this state is set, right? And she's actually doing analysis and digging up the truth. And what do the facts actually say about some of these things that you know have such heated rhetoric behind them? Like, you know, people, this mis misconception this false narrative really that people are hard done by if they don't get time and a half overtime over 40 hours a week i mean that is the narrative that underlies this whole issue and it ignores some of the things that we've just been talking about in addition to the fact of as you just said listening to the farm workers and what do farm workers themselves really want and recognizing that farming is different than a factory job. And as I have said before, and I'm now saying again, if you don't want factory farming, which we don't have here in Washington State, by the way, but if that's the buzzword that you're worried about, if you don't want factory farming, don't treat farming like a factory. You know, and a system that's designed to pay factory workers doesn't work in a system that is actually in tune with nature as we want it to be. Right. I mean, that that's another underlying factor here um, that people just often don't seem to get. It, it works differently in farming. I guess I will say, and I know you have better information on this than me, that you can often call right to memory when my memory fails. When we talk about these kinds of things is it's not just farming that does this. Right. There are other plenty of other segments of our economy that have similar overtime exemption issues that farming has been so lambasted for? There are. In fact, uh, I think one of the most overlooked probably is rail workers. Uh, rail workers are exempt from overtime, <clears throat> and there is some discussion around changing that. But at the moment, uh, you know, they work 12-hour shifts, 15-hour shifts um, with no overtime pay. Um, yeah. You also think about um, other kind of shift work that people take for granted. And the one I think about almost immediately are EMS workers. Mm, yeah. So if you have, you know, if you have some sort of medical emergency, the last thing you want is your EMT to have that alarm set on their wristwatch that says, Oh, my eight, my eight hour shift is over. I am done trying to resuscitate you. <laughs> uh, so which yeah. is why there's, Not good. there isn't, uh, there isn't an overtime structure um, the way we see it in the way we see it playing out in ag for uh, EMS workers. Think about that, folks. That it, I, people can hopefully understand that more clearly. How that is a different scenario than someone clocking in and out on a forty-hour, you know, nine-to-five job. We need those people. It's a life-saving issue there. 
for growing food, it's also something where the time constraints are different. The pattern, the schedule is different. There are other reasons. But again, people seem to have a hard time wrapping their, their head around that. Well, I think in ag with the, the time constraint issue in particular, I love the example that the current State Farm Bureau president gives uh, because they grow fresh produce. Rosella, Rosella Mosby, we've had her on the what, show here multiple times. Yeah. What Rosella will tell you is zucchini in particular will grow a quarter of an inch an hour in the peak heat of the summer. So if they stop picking, uh, because everybody's reached their out eight hours for the day, uh, the likelihood is that when they go back to the field tomorrow, the zucchini that should have been picked will be too big for their buyers. Yeah, that won't, won't make grade. It'll all be trash and they'll still have to pick it to get <laughs> to get it out of there mm -hmm. so it'll still require that labor and it will be food waste then at that point mm -hmm. yeah and well i guess the pushback pam and i'm curious what you would say to this but the pushback is well yeah let, let folks then continue and finish up that work you just have to pay them time and a half why, why don't you just do that Again, the narrative is that, you know, farmers just need to step up to the plate and, you know, as many people will say, especially on social media, they just need to, you know, get with the times like everybody else has already had to do. And obviously, if you can't do that, you don't have a, uh, a sustainable business model and you just, you know, need to, to get it together. I think there's there's two main arguments about that in particular. The first is um, I would challenge people to find another business that operates with such a slim profit margin because the profit margin for most farms uh, in agriculture and not just in Washington but everywhere is 10% or less. Uh, you compare that to some of our other major industries, building and construction, uh, profit margins are anywhere from 40 to 50%. Uh, you look at um, software engineering profit margins are a whopping 75%. Uh, so when people talk about needing to just absorb that cost, what they're asking farms to do is figure out where they're going to take from in that 10% profit margin to account for this new increased cost. Yeah. And the numbers I've heard, I'd say 10% would be healthy. Well, it depends on the year though, too. I mean, some mm -hmm. years you may make well over that because it's a good year. The next year, mm -hmm. your profit margin may be negative, yep. but yeah, averages I've heard, you know, a lot of more labor intensive crops are looking more at like one to 5% in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where in that margin and again, this is all because it comes out of that only seven pennies out of a dollar that comes back to the farm. Out of that, where are you going to squeeze? The, it's already squeezed to the max to stay in business. And hopefully some years you make a profit because other years you are going to have a loss. If you're doing that and playing that game, everything's already tight. Labor in particular already counts for 50 to 60, in some cases 70, and I've heard as high in certain crops, certain fields, whatever, as high as 80% of the cost for growing that food can be tied up in the labor to make it happen. And then you're saying, oh yeah, for X number of hours, it's going to be 50% higher just doesn't exist, unfortunately. And I think the other the other argument 
to counter that is, um, you know, we could certainly increase that seven cents on the dollar and everyone could pay more for food. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we live, we have the fortune to live in a country where food is abundant and it's healthy, uh, depending on what you seek out. Uh, and it really doesn't cost a whole lot. So, uh, you know, compared to other places in yeah. the world that have to import a great deal of food. And so when you look at um, sort of our, that seven cents on the, on the dollar in particular, sure, we could easily, uh, you know, ratchet that up until we got to a point where farmers were actually making enough profit to absorb uh, these costs that just sort of appear. Uh, but if you do that, then ultimately the people who are suffering in that scenario are the people who are already food insecure, low income households or incomes mm-hmm. with you know one income stream in that household. So when you start looking at how that uh, has a ripple throughout the rest of our economy, it's pretty significant. It's, it's not good. And, you know, I've just thought about and heard from other people too on some of these things. Like we go back to the argument of, well, you just need to get with the times. You need to pay overtime. If you can't do that, you don't have a sustainable business model. Well, what are your options then? You know, if you truly can't afford it, because I think people are saying that because they don't believe it's true, but it is true. And if that is true, what happens then? Your choices are, you know, do what you can to limit your costs to stay in business, which is why hours are being reduced um, to avoid overtime and pay as much as possible because the money just isn't there. Or another thing that people are doing is farms get bigger because a larger operation can, you know, find efficiencies of scale and move costs around. Well, people don't want that. They like the small farm. Um, they aren't happy about farms getting bigger. Well, it's issues like this that are forcing farms to either get big or get out, as that famous controversial line went. Um, and then beyond that, if they do go out, which some farms will and some farms have been, where does that food production go? If it's not sustainable to produce that food here in Washington, it goes to foreign countries. And what are people paid there? And what are the environmental protections there? And what is the carbon footprint to bring that food all the way back here. And then, you know, what happens to our local communities that relied on growing food um, to survive? And what happens to, you know, think about food banks. If your food is grown in a foreign country, are, are those foreign countries donating to our local food banks? Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, they aren't. Pam Lewison, she is the director for the, uh, of the Center for Agriculture at the Washington Policy Center. Pam, thanks for your time. Thanks for the work that you do. We'll have you back soon. Thanks, Dylan.